Welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we're here to help you harness the power of the flywheel. And this week we have on crypto OG, founder of CoinGecko, Bobby Ong. And you know what? Let's get right into reactions. Kit, what'd you think of the episode? Dude. I didn't realize how much of a veteran Bobby is in the game. Like he's, he's been through multiple cycles and he's been a builder pretty much throughout all of it. You know, he shares some insights on what that was like going through the different cycles and bull and bear. He gave us his thoughts across like, you know, the DeFi sector, obviously. And then even down to NFTs kind of where we're going to go next to. And I just had a great conversation with him, man. Yeah, what I found really interesting was what life was like back in 2014. You know, back then you had all the proof of work forks. Back then, you know, Vitalik just was talking about Ethereum and Ethereum was just another altcoin and idea. And the fact that people waited a year for their Ethereum tokens, like a year, like think, I don't know if that would fly today. People would be like automatically be like, rug, like what are they doing? Yeah, I mean, you, you probably just had to give people NFTs to shut them up. <laughs> yeah yeah in. and talking about how much the space has evolved to you know back then it was more people like libertarians computer nerds people kind of like on the edges of society and today in 2022 how much more diverse the scene is how many like different kinds of people of all different backgrounds and kind of in a sense like how the space has really matured and grown up and to welcome more people yeah, man, I, I think the audience is going to really enjoy just just listening to Bobby yeah. talk. Like, we definitely should have more of these like uh, legendary builders in the industry on here just to chat with the people. Yeah, more history lessons in store. Um, so if you're watching this, don't forget to subscribe to us, uh, Flywheel Pod. We have over 500 subscribers. Let's go. Um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Flywheel Pod. On Telegram at Flywheel Pod, we actually made it into a public Telegram group. So if you want to come and join the conversation, come join the Flywheel Pod Telegram group. You can find me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. And you can find me at 0x capital underscore K on Twitter. And let's get this started. Welcome to Flywheel, Bobby. Uh, it's awesome to have you on. Like CoinGecko is, has been like my go-to source for anything like statistical and DeFi for the past two years since the start of DeFi summer. Um, but yeah, getting back into it. Um, yeah. Like how, how did the tokenomic section come about? Was it from like um, user demand? Was it like something internally? Like how did that happen? Yeah. I think, I think we have a few, I think people have been requesting us to add the tokenomics tab onto CoinGecko for a few years now, like getting information mm -hmm. on the supply schedule, who are the early investors? What's the um, uh, what are the uh, the buy price, for example, for all the early investors? When are the new tranches coming up? Like we want, people want to know when when are the early investors getting unlocked and potentially dump on retail, for example. So, so I think people have been asking us for some time, and and we've been postponing this for a very long time because we know what it takes to get all this information. There's there's yeah. no automatic automated programmatic way to get all this information. The only way to do this is to slog through all the white paper, blog posts, yep. announcements, trying to find all this information, asking from the team. And you know it, uh, some teams are transparent, they share all the information because they have nothing to hide. But some teams, um, 
pretty opaque and they don't want to respond mm-hmm. to you or because they see this is too much work. Yeah, screw it. I'm not, I'm just not going to do all this work. So like figure out by yourself. I think that's one of the main issues. Uh, also, I think it's also hard because what is presented in the white paper is very different from what the supply schedule could be now because the teams change them very frequently. It could be simple things like linear vesting to quarterly vestings. I'm invested in a few different projects and, and these things happen. Like I've seen mm-hmm. projects change them. Uh, there could be things like it should be unlocked in the first like X amount in the first one year, but then the teams email back and say like, hey, why don't you just switch everything back into three years later? Like, yep. and then, you know, as an investor, say, okay, sure, you know, you're a long-term believer in a project, so why not? doesn't really matter whether I'm locked today or I'm, I'm unlocked two years later. Uh, or there could be someone in the Ferris style, what could be unlocked three years later and all the supplies brought forward together. So even though we've done all this tokenomics uh, slogging, we've done it for over 100 tokens now. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's like a lot of work from our team. I think some of them work really long hours to get all this information. Um, there is no guarantee that all this information ties with what we're seeing on-chain. So there is quite a high chance that the numbers don't tally. The only really good way to do it is to get from the team specifically which, is, which are the addresses holding all these different tokens and then right. trying to tie back with the amount. Let's say you say, okay, 20% is still lock and, and, and resting for the next two years. Okay, this is the address. That's 20% of the token. Sounds good, but like very, very hard to do that. I mean, that's one of the things that we tried doing with market cap calculation. We asked all the teams for like the list of addresses holding lock tokens by teams, investors, advisors, foundation and so on uh even getting that information we knew was kind of tough um mm-hmm. um but but and, and we knew tokenomics is just like amount of information by times 10 and like that's that's tough so but yeah i mean we try what we do uh so the teams that want to be transparent they know there is a way to submit the information to coin gecko please do so for all of you listening who wants to have the tokenomics <laughs> information uh otherwise your show is not available so yeah users can judge for themselves i suppose yeah, it's funny. Like I was talking about this with a friend last night. Like the nature of blockchain is everything's transparent, everything's on chain. But then, like you ask for people for like their tokenomics and their input behind that, and some projects is like, eh, let me get back to you. And it's kind of like push it off and then push it off, and it's kind of like goes against the nature and ethos of the space. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you? Yeah, go ahead. As was a quick shout out to another tip. I don't know if if people know next to the circulating supply of certain projects if you hover your mouse over the question mark like coin gecko details out like where the makeup of that circulating supply is which is legit right and i, I don't think people know that enough because whoever hovers their mouse over the question mark like no one ever you know, oh i do that. <laughs> i actually have done that you know? it's it's good going on i mean on the frax coin gecko Crack shares coin gecko specifically you see like everything like advisors amos like all that stuff yeah i mean i mean this this came about from us as well i mean a few years ago when we were trying to figure out a circulating supply for all the tokens and then we go around different sites and it's like okay how do we try to reverse engineer what is displayed on all these different sites so, i mean and people come to us why is our numbers different from some of the websites we know how we count ours but like we try to go somewhere else and like okay it's like a black box. Nobody knows what's going on. So like, let's try to reverse engineer, but like, it's just super hard to get all this information. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, a like, it's only a good idea to, to just make it transparent and then like, yeah, yes. everybody just figure out by yourself. 
Are there ways to automate this or like to do automate this in the future? Or is it like all just like manual, like hand digging labor? So the circulating supply, um, so we have a spreadsheet and we just pass to the team, please fill up the list of addresses that is controlled by the team, foundation, investors, advisors, whatever that's locked, right? And then what we do is you take all these addresses, we feed them into a block explorer. So we have API integrations with like Etherscan and Polygon Scan, Avalanche, mm -hmm. Everscan and, and Bunch. What we do is we take all these addresses and then every hour or so, we just call the balances on these addresses. Mm -hmm. And then we take a total supply for all the tokens and then we deduct against all this log address. And that's kind of how we get the circulating supply. Okay. Yeah. So CoinGecko has been around since 2014. I remember you and your co-founder, I remember like reading about it. You guys like started in college, um, kind of as like a, like a side project or you like kind of like you saw an opportunity, like can you go into like people that like aren't really familiar with the history of CoinGecko, how it got started and how it's evolved since? Cause it's definitely been a long road, eight years. That's like 80 years in crypto time. Yeah, sure. So I think uh, TM and I, we've graduated in 2012. And um, for me, I discovered Bitcoin back in 2013. So slightly after graduation, I've got background in economics and I, I almost felt the moment I found out about Bitcoin, like, I felt that my economics degree was obsolete. So like, uh, it felt that I just graduated and like the new way, new monetary system is kind of coming upon us. So I kind of took it as a challenge to just like, uh, I just treated the Bitcoin white paper as a university module and kind of read and, you know, learn and, and play with it. And uh, TM is kind of, uh, my, my co-founder TM has got a CS background from Purdue and um, he's heard about Bitcoin a few years earlier but in 2013 we kind of had a chance encounter in Singapore and and we were both into into Bitcoin crypto and and when when TM came back into Malay to Malaysia um, so we kind of brainstormed we wanted to like thought like this industry could be an interesting industry like the, how the internet was kind of had exponential growth in the last 10 years like crypto could be the industry that we have exponential growth in the next 10 years as well so we thought like okay i mean the least that we could do is let's try to build a side project in this space like it could be anything right just to have some exposure to learn as well otherwise you're just watching for the sidelines which is not as fun as building something in the space uh, we brainstormed a few different ideas um Kind of like the most obvious answer back then was to build an exchange. Uh, everybody yeah. wants to build a centralized exchange. I guess it's the most profitable thing to do. But we didn't. We, we feel that we didn't really have the skill set to run an exchange, and it's also super risky. Like everyone's constantly trying to attack and attack your site, trying to take out the funds in your in your in your in your wallet, and uh, and then you had to deal with a bank bank account. Back then it was just fiat crypto. Nobody was really doing crypto crypto exchange, and um, so we didn't really want to do that. And and I think there were some other ideas around Bitcoin mining farms or so I suppose like like because kind of it was kind of a thing there was a bunch of other Malaysians trying to find, run Bitcoin 8 I don't know if there's ASICs back then uh, but but mining machine mining rigs and all back in mm -hmm. back in back in Malaysia I thought like okay yeah I think software is kind of like our thing so we were kind of trying to trade as well trying to find some alpha I suppose so um we wanted to find some information and 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 a lot of the information was back then was trying to find back then the kind of in thing was POW Fox. So it was Bitcoin yeah. and then you have like Litecoin and Dogecoin. I guess the that most- That was the metagame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So everybody was kind of looking for, for, for things like that. And the way you kind of judge which projects were kind of innovative or not was try to sculpt through GitHub and try to see which developers are pushing commits to these projects versus those that are like 
one-time commit and you never see from see anything from them again. So you want to see which projects have any forks from there. Are there any issues that are being responded by the devs? So we kind of track all the stats actually and kind of see which were the most active devs. And in terms of community, crypto Twitter wasn't a thing back then. Uh, it was all on Reddit and wow. people were kind of see like which community had like the most subscribers and had the most replies. So the Dogecoin subreddit constantly had some of the highest engagement. It had the highest subscribers, highest number of replies and likes and upwards and so on. So do, we, we track all these stats and kind of like rank all these different coins. So that's kind of how CoinGecko got its start and built a niche in the crypto space. Um, and over time, we realized that what people really want is to kind of you know see crypto prices and over time we changed the way we structure and, and show coin gecko and and it is where it is today but at the, at the core of the product is about fundamental research we want to see this information ourselves we want to help us save our time which is kind of how which is why it explains all the things that we do we we want to remove opacity in this space we want to have more transparency so that's why we kind of make the circulating supply schedule um i mean circulating supply transparent uh like by the question mark on on our page mm -hmm. we have this tokenomics page which we want to try to collect and you know put into coin gecko so that we know and and the rest of the world knows as find a way easy, easy way to get all this information so that's kind of how coin gecko got its start and 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 yeah that's yeah. kind of a history over it, the eight years yeah it's fascinating to hear you talk about crypto eight years ago like it was all bitcoin it was all proof of work forks people were on reddit like the game was so much different back then um i guess like what was the character of the community like back on back then in like reddit and bitcoin forum like back when like it was like just Bitcoin and Ethereum was just another altcoin. Yeah, I think the it was not just, so a lot of the discussions were happening also on Bitcoin talk forum. So I don't mm -hmm. know if you guys are yeah. familiar with it. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, but these days the forums kind of did and then there was all these forums, Litecoin talk forum and, and so on. BitShares was kind of the thing as well for a while. Um, <laughs> Dan Lammer. Was kind of like, yeah, Dan Lammer. So yeah. it, I, I kind of, Rest, I, I I got into crypto. I mean, I kind of bought into the vision because I read Dan Larimer's white paper on the future of BitShares. And it in that white paper, it talked about smart contracts and DAOs and 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 mm -hmm. tokens. Pretty much like what we're seeing today with the Ethereum ecosystem was all kind of encapsulated in that white paper like eight years ago. So I thought like, okay, this is, you know, a lot bigger than a sovereign store of wealth, Bitcoin, which is like, you know, which is fine. You know, nobody can freeze your account, which is all good and fine. But like, if you think broader and this, if this vision comes true, like, like, like pretty much we're seeing all this DeFi, NFT space, that we, all these activities that we're seeing right now. And, and that's just the start. I mean, it's just going to go everything in, 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 the, in the web space. It's going to take over, uh, crypto is going to take over everything, right? So, so I thought that was interesting. Um, I think back then as well, there was Peercoin where the early versions of proof of stake was being talked about. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it surprised me how things are relatively slow. Uh, Ethereum's only just going through the merge to move towards POS. So I think everybody was talking about POS and how it should be the way forward because it is more environmentally friendly compared to POW. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know safe or not safe security is one of the biggest factors but also like moving from one consensus mechanism to the other is always, always a big risk for any 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 blockchain yeah back then um when ethereum just 
came out and was released can you like what from what you remember right can you like describe like how people were feeling about it how people were judging it like what what was like the general temperature shift about ethereum yeah so um i think i think i think vitalik has been writing a lot about the vision for ethereum he was involved in this smart contract protocol called mastercoin yeah he was trying to build like a smart contract scripting mechanism on top of bitcoin uh in fact fun fact the first version of tether was issued as a token on top of bitcoin uh it's called omni which is mastercoin, right yeah yeah so you could still withdraw on omni but like who uses omni right like, <laughs> uses yeah so the, the original vision was to try to build scripting capabilities on top of Bitcoin to make Bitcoin more usable to have smart contracts and all. But like, it's just too hard to build on top of Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's core core feature, core capability, I guess, unique selling proposition, if you may, is that it doesn't change. It just stays as it is. And that's a USP by itself. So the devs are highly resistant to change. They don't want to to, to innovate on and, and so on, which is fine by itself. But like, to do all these other things that smart contract uh, on, on a smart contract, DAOs, tokens, NFTs, and so on, you need a Turing compatible uh, blockchain. And 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 Vitalik was doing a lot of thinking. He wrote all this thinking in public on the Bitcoin Magazine um, uh, website, which he used, he used to own. And 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 I think a lot of people had a lot of respect for this, like I don't know, 17, 18 year old genius from Canada. And then we were following him. And then when he finally announced his ICO for Ethereum, like, okay, there was a lot of excitement. So we all like, you know, I guess the first one of the first ICOs in the world. And it was really simple. Like, here's a Bitcoin address, send whatever Bitcoin you want, and then you just wait. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I would like to emphasize on this waiting period because the wait to get the Ether token was a long wait. Uh, unlike the ICOs in 2017 and 2018 where you contribute ETH and you get the tokens almost immediately or, or, mm-hmm. or a few weeks later, the wait from the contribution, from your Bitcoin contribution to this Ethereum ICO website to receiving the actual Ether token was can't remember. It's close to a year or over, or slightly over a year. So about a year, I would say. And and during that one year period, wow. especially towards the end of the one year period, like there was a lot of fart, I suppose, because Bitcoin. This was in twenty fifteen or so. Bitcoin was went from Mount about. Gox? No, this was after Mount Gox. So okay. Bitcoin went from about thousand two hundred at its peak, and it went all the way down to three hundred dollars or so, I suppose. And remember how I mentioned that. Ethereum had its ICO and they just provided a Bitcoin address for each person. Yeah. So they basically sent Bitcoin over and the Ethereum Foundation just kept the Bitcoin and they didn't really uh they didn't sell it. it to US <laughs> sell it, right? So they sold some, but like to pay for the, the expenses. Uh-huh. But over the next one year, the price of Bitcoin just went down 75-80%. So whatever amount that they've raised have just kind of yeah decreased uh-huh. by 70%. Pretty much like what we're seeing right now, this cycle. And okay. and towards the end of the one year period, like a lot of FUD saying that Ethereum Foundation is running out of money. They're not going to ship the first version of Ethereum as promised. And all those guys that have contributed Bitcoin would just get rocked, basically. There was a lot of FUD on uh, I don't know, Twitter or, or Reddit or whatever the forums back then. I uh, can't remember right now. But yeah, so I was like feeling, okay, maybe I might not get my Ether. If I get my Ether, that's like, 
good because I've waited a year by now, right? So like, like, so there was a lot of um. I mean, obviously, those that are closer to the Ethereum Foundation would probably know the pace of development. But I'm I'm far. I'm I'm in Malaysia. I've got a job and all back then, and I, um, I mean, this is kind of like what I do and the casual observer and I run CoinGecko. I don't talk to anyone from the EF Foundation, for example. And okay, so when I got the Ether, so I was like, let's just, let's just hope they deliver. <laughs> but when they actually deliver it, like, okay, good. <laughs> they didn't rock. So, yeah. so that was kind of my first experience with Ether. So that was kind of like how I felt. I think a lot of people are feeling the same as well. I think the, um, can't remember the, the, first, the first trading price. I think the, the, the ICO days was like 30 cents or so for per, 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 per Ether. 30 and then cents. Like, yeah, so I knew a lot of people when Ether hit $10, they were like, okay, this is like 100x or so already or like pretty high returns. So like a lot of people were selling, uh, which is a fair thing to do, right? Uh, so I think some of the hard things for the Ethereum OGs was like holding on to all those Ether like from the ICO days, like a lot of people were selling. Some people I knew dumped the entire stake and then, you know, once you dump it or, or you dump like a significant amount, like it's very hard to buy back because the price as you yeah. know it, an exponential so yeah and that was the story like like even though it launched they were still very uncertain it could kind of you know just die off but obviously it's got a strong team and i just yeah i mean you basically had this 18 19 year old kid vitalik who writes prolifically and is you know this kind of the wonder kid of sorts and he's like hey i got a project and it's from like i'm I'm, I read like a few books about this. Like he was basically like traveling the world, like, you know, meeting different people in the Bitcoin community was part of MasterCoin. And I would describe MasterCoin to people as a switch, uh, like, yeah, a Swiss army knife. Um, it could only do like 25 different things. It wasn't Turing complete, but like, it could be like an exchange. It could be like in something else and, or, you know, but like it couldn't do, if you want to add something else, you would have to like fork the code. But what Vitalik was like, why don't I just create a turn, like you said, a turn complete machine and be like, oh, you can create anything that's mathematically possible. Any computer program can be created on this decentralized world computer, which was like the first rallying cry around Ethereum. And yeah, I can't imagine like waiting a year after <laughs> investing like today, like that would be unhurt. People just immediately call rock immediately. Um, so I can't imagine like the pressure and FUD facing Vitalik and the whole Ethereum Foundation team to deliver, um, especially on like something like that didn't exist before. Like, it's just like such like, let's make a world computer that can create anything. But, <laughs> but um, I don't know, Kit, what, what is your, what are your thoughts? No, but first of all, I... I didn't realize how much of an OG Bobby is. And now <laughs> I have like so much more respect for the man. So props to you. Uh, but, you know, coming from your story of discovering Ethereum, how did you then go down the DeFi rabbit hole and discover Frax? Like, was there a, a, another like moment where you saw this vision of like decentralized stable coins <laughs> or, like, yeah. you know, decentralized computer, decentralized stable coin? That's the next thing. I think I was the one that put Bobby on to Frax. I think it was me messaging you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to recall, like, how did I find out about Frax? Did I, did you tell me about it or did I just read about it online? And I knew I wrote a thread about it on the 3rd of January, 2021. So like- You were early Frax. Yeah, no, it was definitely me. Uh, When We were like talking a bunch back then in 2020. I was just like, hey, like these people I worked with at Everpedia, they're about to release Frax. And you were like, 
this was something that really caught your eye and what and i'm just like wow this caught like the founder of coin gecko who sees everything across his table like boom like fracks um it must have like really caught your attention so like yeah it must have been early 2021 and you wrote the thread in yeah. january 2021 right when it launched i'm yeah. like what yeah what stuck up st yeah stood out about fracks yeah so i mean i think i think a couple of things i mean i, I mean it was this is like over the christmas period as well so i've gotten quite a lot of time <laughs> um, i mean this is after the, all the DeFi bull run you had uniswap balancer curve um mm bunch of different order lending protocols RV compound and so on so a lot mm -hmm. of things were kind of the maker and die has been around for a long time right. um i think so i had a lot of time i read about this thing and i wrote a, a tweet thread I, I think it's one of my first tweet thread actually <laughs> so i was like pretty convinced that this is interesting so um i think the original thesis was um i think that there needs to be a decentralized stablecoin and maker and die was kind of the only player in town uh, before Maker and Die, every other stablecoin was a centralized stablecoin like Tether, USDC, and PAX. Uh, I don't know, I didn't call it USDP these days or, or Binance USD, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So, so all those stablecoins are pretty centralized, and we know with centralized stablecoins like the 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 creator of the contract, in which case Circle, Tether, they could blacklist any any address mm -hmm. uh, that they deem as uh, at risk, for example. And I guess I guess people in the the OGs know that, but people who are not OG may not be familiar with that information, I suppose. Um, I think make so so there is a one-to-one -one centralized back stablecoin that is the what do you call it? Maker uh, over collateral stablecoin. Yeah. So over collateral stablecoins are interesting, it's more decentralized dice kind of build its name for its space, uh in a space in the space. But mm -hmm. I think with it is not capital efficient. You got to put like hundred fifty percent of your capital to mean like one point one fifty to mean one dollar worth of 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 right. die, for example. So is there a more capital efficient model? And I can't remember which came first, uh, the Terra UST Algo stablecoins, where there is had where they have zero backing of Frax Algo stablecoin. Um, because we have we've seen a few variations of Algo stablecoin. We have we've seen UST, we've seen the basis cash experiment, we've seen uh, yeah, we've seen ESD, DSD, yeah, basis, ESD, yeah, and then we saw Iron. I think this was yeah. before, right? This yeah. was before Frax, so like right? yeah, so like I mean, first was base like base coin or basis, which never yeah. even launched, and then that was like. I remember they raised like $140 million in 2018, right. 2019. Never yeah, longer, I read a white right? paper. It was interesting. Yeah. 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 And then it was like, there was like all these different generations and Frax was part of that first generation of basis cash yeah. and ESD and ESD had all the hype and they all just collapsed. They all collapsed yeah. except Frax. Frax was the one that had the partially collateralized model. The other ones like, honestly, like at that point in time, I was like, I took a step out from crypto and just like every, like life in general and wasn't paying attention. So I missed all that. And like, for my oh, benefit, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> but like, from like what I understand about ESD, they like, were not like backed by anything. They had coupons and bonds and the system just didn't work. That's all I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically, I I I I think yeah. Now I remember what happened. So I I took part in uh, ESD DSD tours like Q three Q four of twenty twenty, <laughs> and I got rock, rocking ESD, rocking DSD, rocking basis cash, like rocking everything, right? So and then, and then Frax came out and it's like, which which is interesting, right? So I thought like ESD DSD, Algo stablecoins were interesting, but they were super risky, but because they were not because like you have 
maker die, which is over collateralized. And then you have the other extreme, ESD, DSD, which is backed by nothing, nothing. at all. Yeah. So, but there's nothing in the middle. And, and that's when the Frax white paper came out. And I thought that was interesting in itself because like there is space to innovate. There is a middle path instead of both extreme ends of over collateralized and zero collateral at all. So I thought that was an interesting concept and I read the white paper, I read it. And I think what is, what caught me more interest, uh, caught my, caught my eyes more was uh, the fact that the collateral ratio was, um, is, is algorithmic. It, it starts at hundred percent, which is like a USDC wrapper, if you may. And over time, it just goes down. Um, so I think I have to look at the chart again. Like when I first wrote the thread, I think it was about 90%. At the moment, it's about 90% back by yeah. USDC again. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it went all the way down to about 84%. I think yeah. Uh, 82%. Yeah. 82%, yeah. What I thought, and I still kind of hold this thesis, I thought the market would kind of support a stable coin, which is 60 to 70%. Uh, yeah. At least 60%. Uh, I think I wrote this in my original tweet as well. I'm just trying to find it. About I've, 60%, yeah. 40%, 50% uh, collateral ratio. That was what I wrote. Uh, I thought the market would support like um, 40%, 50% or 60% mm -hmm. at least backed by, by USDC and then the rest is algorithmic. But I think that's kind of looking back one year later, one and a half year later, like I'm surprised that the market did not allow for that sort of risk. It only went as far as 82%. And when you look back, I mean, on a system that is pretty large and has this self-adjusting mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, and then you compare it against Terra and UST where it's like 100% back, 100% um, unback. And then over time, they try to add Bitcoin collateral, which is at most, I don't know, 10%, 15% yeah. of whatever. Mm -hmm. It's clearly not very safe. Like, like yeah. the market is going gonna to break. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how I got into FXS, uh, uh, Frax, Frax, uh, got, in, got into Frax share, Frax, yeah. I respect to you for, you know, uh, finding Frax and sticking with Frax after everything that you've gone through with ESD, DSD, and basis cash. I feel like at that point, most people just like, I'll, and most people did just like, I'll go stables. Like, you know, I'm going to write it off. Like that's a scam, this and that. But like, no, I feel like it's like one of the hardest experiments to pull off in crypto because it's binary. It's either worth one or it's worth zero. And, you know, yeah. it's one of like, as, as Sam says, it's like the largest total addressable market outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum is money. It's like the ultimate app layer on top of smart contracts is money. So it's yeah. it's a matter of like, it's going to be figured out and it's going to happen, but like, it's just a matter of, you know, it's still early. So like, who's going to do it? And like, I think mm -hmm. we all can agree that Frax is positioning itself to, um, you know, do well in this area. Yeah. I'm looking at my tweet again. I just remember I mentioned Ample as well. I forgot about Ample. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. <laughs> it's still around. It is still around. I know. What's your yeah. thoughts on zombie rebasing coins like that? I think it's just very complex. It's just yeah. like, I yeah. have X amount of Ample today and I don't know what is going to be worth tomorrow. It's either going to be worth a lot or it's just going to devalue significantly and, and not worth a lot. So that's kind of like, I find it very hard to visualize the price or the value that I have with this ample bag that I, that I hold. So that's kind of where, I mean, rebasing coins, you got to view the market cap instead of the price. So that's just, yeah, we had to make tweaks on CoinGecko. Like we were showing the price chart and then all the rebasing coins say, you got to show the market cap chart on CoinGecko by default because those price charts just don't make sense. And like, <laughs> you have to make all those tweaks and all, yeah. But yeah, it's just complex by nature. I think it's 
I don't know if anyone's gonna be able to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah, and then kind of, yeah. after that you had Ohm, which was also a rebasing coin, and like oh, so got rock. Yeah, I mean, I remember when Ample. There was this like one point in DeFi summer in July where everybody was an Ample ball, and you couldn't like open Twitter without seeing Ample, 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 and it was just the most absurd. <laughs> it was absurd. I don't kid. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, I I do, I do, but I'm I'm trying to think now, like. Like Bobby, obviously you're super well versed on the DeFi side, but I, I heard somewhere that you're also kind of active on the NFT side too. Um, like, w when did you make that jump from kind of like DeFi into NFTs? I mean, it's just kind of just taking a look at what's going on in crypto, right? So just I don't know, buying everything and researching. I suppose that's the best <laughs> way. And then, uh, yeah, I think I think it's just like I'm not super active personally trading flipping nfts i mean i have a few here and there just taking a look at what is pfps or some projects i mean i mean i'm kind of into ens these days but uh but but i think it's just more for the fun like into it and then because crypto is really interesting every six months or so there's always a new narrative and and the best way to learn is to just be deep in the weeds and trying to to participate in what's going on. Not only is there alpha, uh, but but you also understand and 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 it helps us build the next product for CoinGecko because whatever that's that's interesting is probably going to be talked upon and and there will be data sets that people will be looking upon to kind of mm -hmm. find on CoinGecko. If we don't build it, someone else is probably going to do it, for example. So um I think NFT was kind of the thing that took place um last year, I suppose. Uh I think pretty surprised uh because i always thought nft is going to be big in a few years time but 2020 was the DeFi year 2021 was the nft year um i guess in hindsight like nfts i i wasn't participating in nfts as much as i was in in DeFi. i was in some but like not not yeah. as big as as the rest yeah but yeah and then coin gecko we 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 started tracking the nft floor price uh, mm -hmm. But I mean, there's still a long way to go. We only track on Ethereum and Polygon. We started integrating the OpenSea and uh, OpenSea exchanges, looks rare uh, marketplace. Mm -hmm. But there's there's a lot of activity going on in Solana, for example, that we are not tracking at all. So so that's that's a big spot that we that that's a big black spot that we are that we are missing right now. But but yeah, I've I've completely not participated in the Solana NFT ecosystem. So mostly if uh, I would say. Yeah, it's interesting exactly. to see Coin Gecko, like how fast you guys adapt to, you know, whether it's like keeping track of DeFi or keeping track of NFTs. Like, how do you guys stay on top of everything? AI just being an active market participant, I would say. Um, like, that's the number one way. Yeah. 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 Just, just seeing what's going on and trying to understand if someone's talking about like, so, I mean, I was early into hash mass, I would say. So that was kind of how, oh, me like, too. and I thought, yeah. Oh. So that was kind of my first NFT. And then uh, I thought it was interesting because it has some sort of a DeFi mechanism in place. So if you remember every single NFT, uh, the Hashmas NFT, it actually generates a fungible token called a name change token, NCT. So I thought that NFT uh, compared to CryptoPunk, Hashmas to me was more interesting because CryptoPunk is, you know, it's just a PFP and you just buy and sell based on demand and supply in the market. Whereas Hashmas not only has that mechanism, he has uh, he also has this DeFi, this this a yield bearing NFT. So that was where it got really interesting to me. Just like how a lot of 
uh, DeFi tokens are you bearing? So I thought Hashmas was interesting. But so I guess I bought too many Hashmas, I suppose, and I didn't get out in time. Uh, <laughs> I'm still backholding all these Hashmas. Dude, and then <laughs> people were, I guess a lot of community back then, uh, I think in early Hashmas groups, a lot of people were saying, oh, just bought apes kind of uh, the next thing. So apes are interesting. But I mean, I wasn't really from the aesthetics point of view. So to me, a robot is pretty cool compared to an ape. I, I didn't really enjoy looking at the ape too much, but so I didn't really buy, but that was probably a very costly mistake, I suppose. Uh, I thought the robot looks cooler, but the market seems to think otherwise. So yeah. I guess I learned my lesson as well. Uh, what is I interesting did. to me may not be what is interesting to the rest of the world, I suppose. Yeah, I thought what was cool about Hashmas was like all like the little traits and Easter eggs and that whole DeFi element that you could like spend like your name change token and change the name like i thought it was really unique but the thing that i think like a lot of us fall victim to especially for like in the same like groups and circles is like we fall into group chain think or just like yeah this will be popular with everyone else and then like outside of our groups you have like board apes that just completely take off yeah. and like we were like how could we not see it coming it's just like it just didn't interest us but it's like interesting how like other like yeah. and they like bring in like a whole new group a whole new co cohort to um, crypto and now just like web three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what I found interesting with Hashmas was that the traits, there were some secret traits that were not revealed. And yeah. there was a treasure hunt that, <laughs> that went around trying to find, figure out like if there's the Phoenix and who are like, so there was like a few weeks that like everybody's kind of going around hunting for like secret traits that were not revealed. But the team rock, they took the money and got no I mean, not rock. I mean, I don't know. I mean, soft no, nothing happened. Soft rock, I suppose. <laughs> nothing happened with the red project, right? Like, they, I don't know how much it raised, but like, basically, nothing, nothing took place. Whereas we compared with the Yuga Labs team that kind of launched, uh, bought apes. They were super active in trying to grow the community, and I think one of the things that they did well was they kind of got in, got the Hollywood celebrities involved with bought apes. So I don't know if they gave it to the the celebrities or they got the celebrities to buy on a cheap but uh the, all these different celebrities buying into board apes really helped their credibility and one of the biggest you have to give it to the yuga labs team that they really brought nft to the mainstream audience mm -hmm. before board apes i think uh nobody in the mainstream was talking about it it was just kind of a bunch of nerds looking into DeFi, maybe financial guys um and then you have the artists and the creative community especially on the West Coast of the US, coming into the crypto via NFT. So that was, I guess, a big turning point for NFT and and, and they really make uh, crypto go more mainstream and that drove the 2021 bubble. Uh, yeah, bubble, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> yeah, how does, I guess, like being like, how are the new people from like this cohort, from like the 2020 to 2022 cohort of crypto, like different from like the 2017 cohort and the 2014 cohort? Like, are they, some things were similar, some things were different. I mean, the early days was just full of libertarians. <laughs> uh, so basically 2013, 2014, you get all those tech nerds, super tech nerds, um, libertarians, maybe crazies, if you may, to some margin, <laughs> crazy crazies. And 2017, you get a lot of the, a lot of scammers, a lot of people who want the fast money. Uh, who don't think too much about pitch you all kind of web two ideas, web three, they all they all rock, obviously. And I think that the 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 third one, the 2022 one was I think there was a lot more female involvement in the space. Uh there was a lot more 
creative community. Uh, you get the artists being involved by NFTs. It was possible to talk to the 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 talk to regular people on crypto. They will understand. There was a lot of conversation around the environmental aspects of POW, how it is bad. We don't really we heard that a little bit, but like the artist community was pretty against uh, Ethereum NFTs, for example, and they wanted to build on the Tezos NFT because it's POS. Mm -hmm. So I think that was kind of the big thing. Uh, females and, um, and, and, and creating, and also gamers, uh, games started adopting NFTs. So you get a lot more retail users, uh, users in developing countries that may not necessarily have the chance to use DeFi. Uh, I think Philippines was kind of like the capital for... X Infinity, uh, they mm. were all making a lot of money playing X Infinity last year. Obviously, no longer profitable these days, but it was, it was interesting for them. Uh, yeah, they, they were all they all heard about crypto via X Infinity. Yeah, um, that's that's a very good point. Like, I I want to double back here. You said earlier, uh, twenty twenty was DeFi, twenty twenty one was NFTs. So, where do you see what is the next trend in your mind right now for twenty two and twenty three and onward? To be honest, I don't really know. Um, I mean, as I said, I was pretty surprised at how NFT was the team for 2021. I was caught off guard as well. Because mm -hmm. um, if I if, if I knew it was going to be like, we, were, we have gone all in for, for NFT, but we were still kind of <laughs> DeFi at that point in time. Uh, 2022, um, I think everyone's still kind of just trying to figure out what's the next narrative. No one's figuring out yet. I think if we go on to follow the money kind of concept and seeing where the investments that are that have taken place in crypto, I think a lot of investments have gone into Game 5, Game 5 ecosystems. So a lot of games have raised money. I think hundreds of games, right? So I think most of the games would fail, but every once in a while, like one or two games may make it to the mainstream, to mainstream attention. Just like how there are hundreds or thousands of NFTs, uh, but only one or two like bought apes, for example, that have successfully crossed the chasm to go to mainstream audience. Um, I think, I think, I think GameFi. Uh, I think the, I don't know if it's too late or not. The move to the play to earn or play and earn, and 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 these mechanisms would probably play out further. Uh, there is no mechanism on what will work. Everything seems to collapse after a while. Uh, step N to me is interesting. Uh, the move to earn mechanism. Uh, step mm -hmm. N obviously is the leader. Uh, there are others like Genopets, Sweatcoin, and a bunch of others as well. Seeing how they could build an ecosystem around it. I think it's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm using Step N almost every day. I mean, really? Uh, you almost feel, yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, I mean, it was very profitable at one point. Like you get paid like, um, I don't know, thirty, forty dollars for a ten minutes walk. It was that profitable <laughs> like a couple of months ago. Like now it's just like five. I mean, one dollar for a ten minutes walk well, is still decent, but 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 to me, it's just kind of like, and I think this is where things are headed to, right? Like like apps, blockchain apps, like it would kind of look like a web two app, and you are sort of interacting with the blockchain without realizing it. So using Step N sort of reminds me of Strava. For example, so like you go for a job, you open your Strava or your Nike Run app, for example, you click start, it starts tracking where you run and then it gives you analytics of like how far you've run, how fast you've run, the, the speed, the average speed and so on. And then instead of giving you Web2 points, for example, which are centralized 
points in a database of someone's database, they give you, in this case, step and they give you a fungible token called GST. Um, and then, then you could kind of sell it or, or do whatever you want with it. And then, and then your shoes could be represented as NFTs, for example. So I think there will be more of this mechanism where games will start using either the NFT and fungible tokens and, and kind of incorporate that. And you will be interacting with the blockchain without even realizing, realizing it. So that's kind of where it could potentially be. But again, who knows, right? I mean, this is crypto. I could be, I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I always viewed GameFi as the top of the funnel. Um, it's like people that are new to crypto that, you know, unfamiliar with like how to interact with DeFi or even how to interact with a wallet, you know, GameFi is an excellent introduction, especially with how Axie worked with, you know, they had the, the scholar program and like people would teach the scholars, like how to set up everything, you know, like, you know, that's pretty invaluable, <laughs> like having like that experience and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think, I think a lot of the, um, the, um, NFTs are too expensive for the average Joe to go in. So this scholarship comes, these guilds come out with scholarships and yeah, yeah. probably guilds at the moment is they're very they're extracting value from the ecosystem and they does they do not contribute as much value to it. To it. They can contribute user growth, but all these users are just kind of like, I guess you can call them mercenary farmers coming in to farm and dump your token. So the more you have, the better it is on the short term, but you all collapse eventually at the moment. So how the good thing is they are sort of um, educating the next group of users. Um, but I think, I think crypto hasn't figured out how do we retain users. We talk about building the network effect for every single blockchain ecosystem. But the problem is we don't know if this network effect will stay or people will come for the incentive and then move on to the next network yeah. that will give the next incentive and just keep moving about. And, and that's that's obviously not good because the, when, when, once everybody moves on, then this ecosystem kind of collapses, for example. Yeah, I guess that's the concern with every blank to earn is like you just get people who are absolute mercenaries and just want to extract as much value and extract it until the system runs dry. And that's what... That's yeah. kind of been the whole fate of like every to earn, even from Axie yeah. to whoever else. And it's just like yeah. a matter of like, how can you like elongate that? How can you like have people play the long in the long game? And like, I think it just takes a lot more experiments in tokenomics. Kid, I know you've looked into gaming a lot. So like, I would interested yeah. to hear your thoughts. So my thoughts here is like, you know, game or web three game economists or game designers, they feel that a player needs to be rewarded, meaning you put in, you know, $100, I'm supposed to get $120 back. But if you take a look at, you know, traditional gaming, a player buys a game for $60, they play it, then when they go to GameStop or a retailer to trade it in, they're offered $15. So they're down 75% immediately, but the gamers are still extremely happy to trade it in so they, they can buy another game. That's because for that, you know, $45 difference, they got like hundreds of hours of gameplay out of the game. So they felt that time was rewarded already. I think that's what a lot of like Web3 uh, tokenomics designers are not kind of recognizing. It's like fun is yeah. a part of the equation. You know, like people are willing to pay for fun. You don't need to make it absolutely so profitable that people think of ways to like, hey, I'm going to have three phones with the Steppen app open and I'm going to drive my car super slow so that I can, you know, hack the system. Like, 
yeah. you know, you you incentivized these behaviors to break the game by making the tokenomics that way. Like, you yeah. know, that that's the core problem in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I think I think yeah, you're right. I mean, games need to be fun by nature. People want, want need to want to play the game, right? So mm-hmm. play it without any incentives. And I think I think this goes back broader to, to broader DeFi, right? All this DeFi application comes mm-hmm. out with liquidity mining program. Once this programs end, then all the TVL disappears from the ecosystem. So I think a lot of these learnings kind of went into GameFi and then now everyone's kind of yeah. discovering like, oh shit, like we got to build something that 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 is sustainable and, and fun in the first place. But, but well, you know, the, the reason why was because all of the DeFi investors basically sector rotated into GameFi. So when the founders talk to them, the DeFi advisors or DeFi VCs are like advising them, oh, you must have these kind of tokenomics. You've got to have these incentives. You've got to have staking. you got to have a staking game, you know? Like, so it, it, it's, it's sort of like, you know, our fault kind of being on the VC side of things and cutting these checks and having these expectations, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, got a lot of uh, pitch decks sent to me for game fight apps, and and I, I don't really do a lot of game. We did a few game uh, investings, uh, game, but after a while, like I just stop, 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 stop investing in games because I think they're super risky. Games by nature are super risky. Super uh, risky. Correct. Even in Web two, like they are kind of hit and miss. Like they are. I mean, Angry Bird was kind of a good example. They talk about how I didn't found it. Angry Bird talk about how he tried producing games and he tried and launched I think I don't know eight nine times and then in his final shot like he said like okay if, if you're gonna launch this Angry Bird game if it doesn't work out we're just gonna close shop and that's it and then it turned out to be a hit but but that was it that that is it's a hit based game and and in, in web three like it's all these guys and all these guys will probably fail except for one or two I suppose yeah hundred percent yeah but um I, I kind of want to double back to it and, and talk a bit more about uh DeFi and Frax like uh, Bobby, have you been keeping up with all of the new products that's coming out of Frax, like Frax Land, Frax ETH, Frax Swap? You know, and, and what are your thoughts? Uh, I haven't really been reading up on the white paper, but I've been listening to your podcast, so I know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hell yeah. Perfect. So I've Perfect. heard about. So yeah, Frax Swap. Uh, uh, Frax Swap. I've seen it because we've added Frax Swap on CoinGecko. So mm, so yeah, nice. that that was in that is interesting. I've heard about Frax Land about. Uh, how about making Frax uh, a, a currency that is used as a debt? And then talk about, uh, I heard about plans to build Frax onto its own chain. That I think is super interesting. Um, I, mean, I, I I kind of hold the thesis of um, that everything's going to go on an app-specific blockchain. Uh, any debt mm-hmm. that's kind of grown to a relatively large enough size, you'll probably want to build its own blockchain. Um I think we've seen DYDX being the latest to kind of move to its own chain. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, but they're moving to Cosmos. So I don't know about that. I mean, Cosmos got its own thing going around. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought Avalanche subnets are interesting because it retains the EVM compatibility component and then it's relatively easy to launch your own mm-hmm. chain as a subnet on Avalanche. So um, I think it's interesting. Um, and then, when you own, when you launch your own chain, like the token, the native token could be the token used to pay for gas, which provides an extra utility. So instead of some people launch a new gas token, but I think it's probably better to use the native token as the currency for gas. Uh, so then it builds in a deflationary 
aspect into the mm -hmm. current token, which makes it more interesting on a tokenomics as well. Um, so yeah, I think generally very interesting a uh, roadmap. Uh, I think I've heard Sam talk about how DeFi is going to be like uh, there's a bundling of DeFi services, right? How the guys that are building the the swaps we want to go into lending the guys who want to build lending we want to go into swaps for example and then mm -hmm. all of these guys will also want to build a stable coin at some point because why surrender that market share to maker for example if you can capture it as well right. so we've seen Aave la launching GHO uh, we saw Curve launching Llama and then now Frax is going to the swap component and going to the lending so everyone's trying to compete and eat like, each other's mm -hmm. market share well, who's going to win I don't know it's going to what do you think where do you think is like the best place to start off? Do you think it's best to start off from a stable coin, from a exchange or from a lending protocol? There is no right way to start things, I would say. But mm -hmm. I would say timing is also important, right? Yeah. So if you look into it, like Uniswap's got a hit start into the exchange, the DEXs space, right? Mm -hmm. And if you are Stani or Robert Lashner and you see... Uniswap's got its huge lead. Do you want to go and compete on, with Uniswap? And and Uniswap up to today has, I don't know, 70% market share between its V2 and V3 uh, yeah. DEXs. Like, yeah. everyone tried to compete against them, but nobody could win against them at the moment. Uh, so if you are Stani or, or, or Robert, would you want to compete against Uniswap? You could, but you could also build a lending protocol, for example, and try to build a name for yourself. Which is fine. So those two have built compound RV and grown it to like number one, number two, respective, respectively. And then Sam come out as a uh, Sam Kazimian, right? So would you, from Sam's point of view, would you want to build, you know, a Uniswap competitor, an RV competitor, or build something that a uh, maker competitor? So to me, timing is more important. So Sam chose to build the stable stable coin with a niche algo stable coin under algorithmic collateral stable coin, and and. And use that as the head start, the beach head to kind of expand, land and expand, right? So, mm -hmm. so I think, I think, I think, I, I think there is no right way. Uh, you could start on either direction, but the timing is more important. Uh, in in how you expand in the DeFi ecosystem. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I don't think stable coins today, like any stable coin, would exist without Curve because Curve is kind of like the central bank and is like. The ultimate exchange for one to one between any stablecoin. So I think like before, before like only like Tether could really exist because that was the de facto stablecoin of exchanges. And then like when Curve came out, it's like boom, you can have like this is what is allowing this whole like stablecoin boom per se. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think timing's right. Like what Sam is trying to do to expand uh frags into the other parts. It's interesting. Uh, we're starting to see Curve and Aave trying to expand to the stable, stable, stable coin part as well. So it'll be fun, I suppose. Yeah. I, I, I think what's really smart for um, Sam and the Frax team was that they may had an inch of feeling that other DeFi protocols would build a stable coin. So what they did immediately was they essentially took over one of the core infrastructure of stable coin, which is Curve and Convex. So they de facto kind of own that already. Then they integrated themselves and having a Frax base pool. So if I you know if Alve's GHO or you know Curves' own Llama, it's probably going to be paired against Frax base pool. So Frax have strategically injected itself in between all of these protocols 
and the stable coin. If you want to do a stable coin, you got to work with Frax. So yeah. I think Sam <laughs> yeah. was like very, very smart to craft it that way. Yeah. As I say, it's, it's still timing, right? So if, if Sam was kind of a, a three months late, for example, mm-hmm. then without the Frax-based pool today, like then GHO and Llama launch, they could just form a, I don't know, GHO, Llama and USDC, for example. But the yeah, fact that yeah. Frax had this already prepared, so there is a, a chance that Frax now stand to benefit from GHO's and Llama's launch. Correct, correct. And um, I also want to quickly uh, highlight Uniswap. Like earlier, we talked about how you know, liquidity incentives and, and, and all these mining stuff is what people come and farm, dump and leave. But Uniswap is like the premier example of product market fit owning 70% of the market share with zero token emissions. Like that is yeah. pretty damn impressive, right? Yeah, very impressive. Um, In fact, if you can build a product without any incentive, then you know you've nailed it. And... <laughs> no product market fit. <laughs> Without yeah, with product market fit without any incentive, yeah. And I think I think I think Uniswap's interesting, right? They were rather slow to expand beyond Ethereum. So I remember one of the Polygon is probably a good example. They were not on Polygon for a long time, and QuickSwap had pretty much the entire market to themselves, and they were giving out incentives as well. So they nailed the Polygon uh, market. But but the moment then they had then Uniswap had um. Uh, proposal to kind of expand to Polygon and then deploy on Polygon. And I think now on Polygon, like I think Uniswap V3 there like commands a relatively large market share and, and QuickSwap's market share has gone down significantly. I don't have numbers off my head right now, but I think I've seen it a few months ago. Like it's, it's, it's... So what caused this? I don't have a good ex- I don't have a good answer. Why did people move from QuickSwap to to, to Uniswap, for example. I mean, the Uni and Sushi debate, I think we kind of know why people kind of move out of Sushi to move back to Uniswap was mainly because of the the, the liquidity incentive. The, the Sushi token just went down and nobody found it profitable to, to farm on Sushi, so everybody moved back. I don't know if the V3 uh, curve played a role uh, because I personally find it rather confusing to provide liquidity mm-hmm. not confusing i mean I, I guess it's doable but like it's just more added burden to kind of you know put your yeah, lower active. range and upper yeah you know, instead of a v2 we just dump 50 50 and then see what happens right but but i guess more sophisticated tr- uh uh market makers will find it more interesting to use v3 i suppose and that's probably why uh, they get market share. I don't know. Maybe your thoughts, uh, Dave. You, 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 you. I know you. You put liquidity into V three pretty frequently. Yeah, I wouldn't say frequently, but I've studied it and I do it sometimes when I find the opportunity. Um, it takes a little bit more homework to like understand how V three works and understand the risk associated with V three. Um, I think like the biggest problem with V three is it's not very composable with the rest of DeFi. Um, like the fact that they made it and and the design choice of making it an NFT uh, basically was like the buck stops with Uniswap. And although that Uniswap has been able to command such, you know, market share and volume and usage, um, it's kind of like its own island in a sense. It's kind of like, you know, it's not really, you know, it's been, I mean, projects are building on top of Uniswap, but I think it's taking longer than people expect. Um, and, you know, who knows, like, like, if they're going to come out with like a V4 or if they're going to like keep like incentivizing, <laughs> like if they're going to come out with like a Uniswap chain, like 
who like it's gonna be interesting like I, I i'm not inside uniswap but like i'm like a huge fan of like the protocol i think that's like i'm pretty vocal about that like like i feel like in terms of like if you're like a trader you it's like the best thing on the market on chain right now to get yeah. like the best the best deals <laughs> yep. per se and as like a market maker like the if especially for those like one percent volatile pairs the fees add up and if you manage your risk right and not be too dj and like and are just a little bit patient it could pay yeah. pay dividends yeah I, I i really like uh DeFi and uniswap uh because it for the first time it provides opportunity for the average joe uh average guy like me to be the market maker i mean it's oh yeah pretty much impossible to be a market maker on ftx or binance you got to get preferential agreements with mm-hmm. um the exchanges to get zero fee or negative fee for example to set your orders and you need to write mm-hmm. pretty complex script to you know set your buy and sell orders actively on the order books whereas uniswap v2 is just like brainless right just 50 50 put in and get like one percent fee or five percent yeah. whatever it is um so that to me was democratizing financial access to everyone and that to me was the defining ethos of of, of crypto and and i thought it was very interesting i think yeah me and you can agree like that moment when like you know because before i think like before uniswap it was like the only venue was centralized exchanges and in that bear market it was a cold dead winter and like there was no liquidity, there was like nothing going on. Like exchanges were charging up the wazoo for like to, for listings and stuff. It was really depressing. And then something like Uniswap mm-hmm. comes along, where you can it's it's so simple to supply liquidity. If you're like a project, yep. it's so su- simple to like incentivize liquidity for your token. Like for me, it was such an aha moment. And like for like especially like for if you take a step back of like what we're like why we're here and, and like what you're we're building for, it's just like. We want to like move off this these centralized platforms and like on chain and this was like the first step and although like there's still like centralized parts that are on chain like usdc like this and that like there's been like over like the past 10 years like this like march towards decentralization um and like i guess but it's like different because like as like a westerner and like growing up in america like we like prized decentralization especially in the ethereum community but i'm sure as you know i have like this one specific memory like when your clubhouse last year, when BSC was popping off and I was trying, and I was like, kind of like the ETH person at the time in it, but everybody was like on BSC and being like, actually like BSC is where it's at. Cause like people can straight up afford to be on BSC. And so I feel like that's something that's like lost amongst the Ethereum community a lot. It's like a lot of people can't afford to like be on Ethereum. A lot of people can't afford to use like even decentralized stable coins. Like it's like makes much more sense for them to use like straight up like fiat stable coins. Um, I guess like, so like, what are your thoughts on this, um, you know, emphasis on decentralization? Yeah, I think for the average retail person, they don't care. They just want to make money. Uh, I think that's what, uh, <laughs> <Just right laughs> whatever it yeah. takes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think most people don't care about um, decentralization. Most people don't care about censorship, uh, resistance stuff. Like, yeah, I think. I guess those that come into crypto based on those ethos, like then, then, then all these things are important. because uh, it's a slippery slope. The moment you censor some transactions, the moment these things are no longer cent- uh, this uh, are centralized, and anybody could like you know a centralized party could take over a thing, then it's as good as a Web two thing, right? So yeah, so so a lot of the this this message is lost in a lot of the the new guys, and I don't blame them. It's just complex topics that they got 
hundred other different things to bother about. So this is not something mm -hmm. that they oh. will care about. Yeah. Yeah. We know between like decentralization of stable coins, like you can only can command people's attention like for so long about so many different yep. things. And like you said, like most people just want to make money, which is completely fine and reasonable. Like, like that's like people only have so much time in the day and they have like other lives and stuff. Like 99% of people like are not like deep in it like us. And like, mm -hmm. I feel like people need to like recognize that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I actually got this uh completely off topic question, but Bobby, like, where did you come up with the name Coin Gecko? Yeah, yeah, it's a good good question. We get it frequently. Um so back in 2014, uh, when we were trying to launch Coin Gecko, so about a couple couple one or two months before we launched, we were looking for a name to use the to launch this site. So we wanted um, a lot of websites were pretty very very serious sounding names in crypto uh, <laughs> and we thought like yeah let's kind of make things a bit more fun right let's try to have uh -huh. uh, a mascot in the in the name so like coin something like an animal name dot com uh, so it could be like and and we basically went through the list of animals and like um the two names that were available was gecko coingecko.com was available for the domain and cointeddy.com was also available coin teddy so, yeah sounds oh. cute right coin teddy but can't go with teddy because it's a bear it's a bear right? you nobody can't go for the bear yeah. oh, nobody right. wants a bear market right so only want a bull so coin bull would be good but like but but there is no such domain so gecko was a neutral uh neutral animal neutral insect a reptile i suppose that that yeah. that you could that we could use and we just went with it and the color is green, right? And so that's that's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's how we got a green color, right? Get good, and we just chose green for everything else after that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that that was the 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 every every website back in twenty every crypto website back in 2013, 2014 was coin com. So <laughs> yeah, Coinbase, Coindesk, Coin Telegraph. Coin Market Cap. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then all the coin domains were taken up right so if you try to buy coin something.com today like like none is available so then uh, people went to block block something.com or the block for example and the block kind of got popular for a while and then orders got taken up as well and then like then people just went for okay and the dot finance was kind of popular for all the the DeFi sites yeah, 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 and i think yeah. that all and then taken dot, up as well. dot io for the icos yeah yes. yeah. yeah yeah so um, so that, that's that's kind of a trend, I suppose. Yeah, I got it. And then uh, so, so so that was the, the start of CoinGecko. But like, where do you see like CoinGecko going in like the next uh, maybe three to five years? Yeah. So I think I think the vision is this, right? So if you think about how crypto is going to take over the world, uh, and I feel that's going to be the case, anything that can be tokenized will be tokenized. So we have 13,000 tokens on CoinGecko right now. CoinGecko takes on a more curated approach. So our team has to list some coins once they've reached some liquidity uh, threshold, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, anything that can be tokenized will be tokenized will mean that your time could be tokenized. I mean, people could be trading a one-hour, one token of your time to have like a one-hour chat session <laughs> coaching session for, for you, for example. Like there will be millions of tokens and, 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 we want to be the the base layer, the 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 place where anybody goes around to check information on a token. It's going to be massively confusing when there's millions of tokens, and people is going to go to one single spot to try to get a price information, 
supply schedule, whatever of all the tokens. So Coinex is trying to be the infrastructure layer for, for this future world where there will be millions of tokens. And this could be fungible tokens, non-fungible tokens, and so on, right? So we are trying to build, put in place uh, all these steps to build the NFT portion as well. But but that's kind of where the the, the vision is. Right. The, the place where everybody find information on tokens and cryptocurrencies. Yeah. To a large extent, we already have close to a million tokens. Uh, we started building this product called geckoterminal.com, yep. which tracks uh, um, all the tokens listed on all the DEXs, mostly EVM DEXs. Um, mm. This includes all the spam and scam tokens. Basically, anybody who trades even low liquid tokens can get information. Uh, it doesn't take a curated approach, so everything is everything's added automatically from the blockchain. Uh, they already has like nine hundred thirty thousand tokens or so. Uh, yeah. So I think we are very near there. Uh, obviously most of them are not worth listing on CoinGecko, but there's a lot of tokens. Yeah. What do you think is gonna make up most of these million tokens? I have a feeling they're all gonna just be meme tokens. <laughs> like I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, I mean, DeFi is kind of a a big, big factor as well, right? So you can think of like, if you put your 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 token to Aave or Compound, like you put your USDC into Compound, you get CUSDC. That's a separate token by itself, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, everything, that, there's obviously going to be a lot of meme tokens, a lot of spam and scam tokens. Um, I think game assets, if, if everything goes Web3, as the vision goes, then all your game assets will be tokenized. So every points, every single point that you see on whatever Web2 platforms now, right now could be tokenized. Uh, whether they want to do it or not, it's a different story. Uh, Web3, mouse, airline mouse, all those things can be tokenized. Um, NFTs are going to be tokenized as well. I mean, all, we own a lot of stuff. Uh, I think the big thing as well, um, equities as well, if Ooh. we could be trading tokenized equities that would be really interesting it's all being hindered by regulations right now but i see no reason why like we can't be trading tokenized equity of mm -hmm. google facebook and so on instead of using a stockbroker we just trade and send them as tokens but what is more interesting is tokenized uh tokenized shares right of private companies so it could be like tokenized shares of like um of 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 or WeWork or I mean I don't know they they the public listed but all these private companies like VCs get early access mm -hmm. to to seed and Series A but they could be tokenized as well I mean it could be like a tokenized version of CoinGecko equity for example that is kind of division if we could make it work but like it's obviously not feasible today and I'm sure like if tokenized equities are possible then we could do a lot of interesting things as well and DeFi is going to be a lot more useful instead of just utility tokens without much utility for, for that, in that in that sense I yeah yeah i feel like once regulation gets clear then you're going to see a shift from utility tokens to equities yeah yeah i mean yeah i hope i hope so i hope so it's just regulators are just regulations move way too slow i mean i've talked about this i thought by now like it we would have clear regulations since coming into the crypto space in 2013 but things are still as murky as what it is uh, eight years ago. Well, that's crazy. Like things are still as murky as they were eight years ago. And like, what do you think the consequences of that are? How do, do you think it, how much like development do you think it's hindered? Like this, like kind of like unclear regulation? Yeah. I mean, 
just there's no right way of launching a token or doing your ICO, for example. There is, and then a lot of people you, you talk to different lawyers, you get different advice from different teams. I mean, a lot of developments being is moving out of the US. The US is just the, the single biggest market for crypto, but like the advice given for any of these tokens is you cannot sell these tokens to Americans, you cannot market to Americans. Uh, exchanges in America cannot list your tokens, all kind of weird rules and all. If you do, I mean, and a lot of people do that as well, they still, they still market and sell to Americans for these tokens. Like, I mean, some people will argue that they are infringing against regulations, who knows, but uh, but yeah, I think I think America is the single market, biggest market that is being excluded from innovation. You have a lot of innovators moving out of America. Uh, SBF, for example, is a good example. Uh, he moved out from the US and moved to the Bahamas to build FTX. Mm. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of other American founders thinking about doing so as well because it's just so hard to innovate in America. It sounds so counterintuitive, <laughs> but that's what happens with like years of uncertainty. But like, I'm hoping like, I, I'm I'm optimistic. I, I'm hoping like regulation gets cleared within like the next few years. I think it's I hope much so, more too. like on congressmen's tables and on congressmen's lenses um, and like, like field of vision. Um, so you see like acts like the Senator Loomis Act, where like it defines like which tokens get regulated under which like agencies, especially the CFTC, um, which takes like a much more open-minded approach to regulating yeah. assets. The CFTC actually regulates like the most amount of volume in finance, like it regulates commodities and everything. And it actually goes to the, it's funny, like I was in DC the, like one time and they, it goes to the like agricultural committee because it's the CFTC and it's commodities. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize. I was like, oh, wait, agriculture is commodities, this and that. So like fun little fact. Um, I don't know, Kit, like, how do you feel about like regulation and everything? I don't really have much thoughts there. Like, like you guys, I just hope they make a decision, make it very clear, and then we move forward. But I do hope the US goes lighter than heavier and yeah. have a lot more of a, of a SROs, a self-regulated organizations so that the community, the industry could decide what is best to move forward. Honest, and you, you see know. a lot of self-regulation on crypto Twitter, like Zach XBT, just like, you know, finding people and go, uh, making people, putting people on notice. Yeah. Like the self-regulation is there. And like, it's funny, you read like reports and like, it basically like goes over everything that was revealed on crypto Twitter, like nine months ago is then in like the complaint. And <laughs> so like, yeah. I think yeah. self-regulation is there. Um, and I don't think it gets like enough credit, like, but um, yeah, it's a, it's gonna be an interesting. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's because we know like there's no one to come in to bail out crypto, right? We are literally on our own, and we have to hold each other accountable for that, and we have to yeah. make sure everyone's working on a very uh, you know, uh, unscrupulous and very straightforward way. Because if you screw up, you screw up for everybody, and no one's yeah. to bail us out. Like for example, look at the terror situation. No one came in to be like, oh my goodness, I'm going to give out, you know, a stimulus checks for everybody who, who got hurt. Like, yeah, it happened. We had to lick our own wounds and kind of grow from that. Um, yeah, I have another question. Like, speaking of regulation, um, with like earlier this month with the whole like tornado cash thing and kind of like the decisions decided to be made by both centralized entities like off chain, like Centra, and then like also like entities like that work on chain, like flashbots that like you know, basically be uh, OFAC compliant, you're kind of seeing this split between um, 
I call it like RegFi, like RegFi and DarkFi in a sense. And I think this was coined by like Amir Taki when I talked to him back in October in LizCon. So like, do you see like a world where like DeFi and like crypto splits into like one that's like regulated, watered down, very not much different than Web2, if anything like worse than Web2? And then like, there's like a whole like, you know, privacy sphere? Or do you see like things getting like figured out and like, Maybe at like the app layer is like, or like the on off ramp layer, that's when like things are regulated, but then like things on chain, like the neutrality is preserved. Yeah, I think, I think we are at a very critical juncture with regards to the development for things. I definitely, it is quite possible to see like crypto, uh, Ethereum or DeFi kind of splitting into two different paths. One is the, KYC compliant chain where everyone's kind of like, you know, that's that's everything's clean, and then the other side of the chain is like all this like privacy chain and, and privacy side and all tornado cash stuff and all. Uh, I hope that does not happen. Uh, I mean the the tornado cash situation is kind of put things on a slippery slope. Um, um, because if we start splitting up things then the tokens are no longer fungible in the sense then you can't m move your ether or us i mean the ether between the compliant and the non-compliant version the moment your address or your coins are tainted then that's it you can't really interact you can't you have to be careful of how you manage all these things and i guess most people would probably keep their address clean i suppose like mm -hmm. the K the kyz version uh but you could what happens if somebody sent tornado cash and sends some tainted coins to your address? Then, like, I mean, we saw that happen. Yeah. Yeah. That troll. Yeah. Point one yeah. spray and pray. Yeah. So, yeah. I think, I think, I think, I think, I think the problem with, with crypto as well is just this privacy. There's no snow privacy, right? At the moment, like, the moment you send your coins to someone else, then everybody that someone else knows your entire history of transaction and, um, and all your future transactions as well, which is kind of dangerous. So if I send you a token that you know my entire history, like the mo the only way to do it is to use uh, a centralized exchange. Then yep. the, the owner of the centralized exchange knows your entire history. Uh, so Tornado Cash was kind of a decentralized way of kind of masking your your history. But if TC is kind of sanctioned, then what's kind of the options otherwise, right? To kind of have privacy. But I think what is more concerning as well was the developer of the TC. He got he got arrested. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's he's arrested because he's he wrote the, the 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 code, which is a pretty weak case in my opinion. But maybe he was kind of helping do it. Maybe he was money laundering using TC for himself, and the government, the police got a case for him. Maybe that's why he got arrested. But who knows? Um, but yeah, I think I think it is possible that things split down that path. But I hope we do what we need to do uh, to keep things uh, it's not fun to have it's not fun to be classified as OFAC compliant or non-OFAC compliant for your address mm. it's not fun for anybody running infrastructure to kind of censor or uncensor things I think the Bitcoin community has kind of done a pretty good job in that sense to kind of keep things one and whole I suppose uh, now I guess it's on the Ethereum community to kind of see if we can keep things um, the same yeah this is like are um in 2017 when they had all the bitcoin forks and like uh i remember like two was it like sf2x or two what was that they were like it was 
Do you, get, you know what I'm talking about? They they had like UASF the, or something. UASF activated software. Yeah, user yeah. activated soft fork. Um, they had that, and that's and they like held the line to keep like Bitcoin, Bitcoin, and not and then like it's funny like the ones that like forked like Bitcoin Cash with forked, it ended up forking even more between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV, and then Bitcoin Cash forked again. It was this like never ended forking, and like Bitcoin Core itself stayed intact. Mm-hmm. I, I got this last question to, to, for Bobby and then we can hop over into the lightning rounds because I, I know we're running a bit over. Um, but Bobby, with the whole talk of these chains and forks, obviously we have the biggest fork coming up next month uh, with the ETH and uh, you know ETH POW and ETH2. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on that or any comments? Yeah, I guess uh, it's finally playing out. Um, when <laughs> the, I guess when... when, when... When the announcement was made for Eve to move from POS, POW to POS, like years ago, I was like saying, I had this thought that like the miners are not going to be happy. They would fork <laughs> Ethereum to keep POW. <laughs> yes. But I, what, I, what I was surprised was nobody was talking about it for a good few years until uh, just like a few weeks ago, people started talking yeah. about POW. And then, and then I guess the exchanges started supporting it and then the rest is history. So I think... I, I think the miners just want to keep their miners running. Uh, they could mine whatever shit chain that is going around and it doesn't really matter to them as long as they can make money. And and then uh, over time, it just goes to zero. Uh, it's kind of how we have seen BCH and BSV. Just, they may start off with 5% or 10% market share, but over time, it just goes to zero. Uh, and I think that's the same thing that's going to happen. Uh, it's going to be complex and chaos in the first couple of days. Uh, people were trying to get um their ETH POW and try and then depends on how they set things up if there's any replay attacks and all but uh, but oh, it's gonna be nuts. But, it's gonna be nuts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, madness. It, it is is CoinGecko going to list ETH POW? Uh yeah, yeah. I mean I think I guess we are pretty uh, neutral in the sense if an exchange supports it, if people are trading it, if there's relatively large volume, we will be listing if POW and any other forks of the POW, if POW there is any, it's just like how we have supported all the Bitcoin cash forks, I suppose. So we will be doing it if there's enough trading activity. I like yeah. that. Gotta stay neutral. Yeah, gotta stay neutral. People are trading it. They want to find information. If they can't find it on CoinGecko, they just go somewhere else to find it. So that's facts. Yeah, that's right. You gotta give the people what they want. But uh, all right, Bobby, we're gonna always wrap up these these uh, podcasts with a series of lightning questions. So I'm just yep, gonna yep. throw some at you, and then um, let's let's see where it goes. Uh, first mm-hmm. question is, when did you first touch the chain? What was your version crypto experience? So Bitcoin was my first experience. I bought my first Bitcoin in 2013 from local Bitcoins. There was no Coinbase where I was Whoa. living. So I really... Oh, gee. <laughs> so it was a scary experience. Did you go Starbucks? <laughs> no, no. I was just online. I just literally wired money to some random stranger on local Bitcoin. He just sent his bank account. It's like, okay, I'm just going to trust that I'm going to get a Bitcoin and then wired the money to some random stranger got a Bitcoin in my wallet, move it off to a blockchain.com wallet that I self, that I control by myself. And that was my first experience. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. What do you like to do off chain? Like what are your hobbies, interests, things to do for fun? Yeah, I kind of enjoy uh, road biking. So like cycling, um, 
uh, on the road. So I think it's kind of quite enjoyable. So every once, every few weeks or so, I take, take my bike and, and cycle up the expressway uh, outside my house here. What's, uh, some, what's some advice that you would give to your 2014 self when you started in crypto? Yeah, I guess being putting myself more out there in the space. I was, I guess maybe I was busy at work and all, but I was, I didn't network enough, I guess, in the space. I will, and also I was in Malaysia. It was pretty far from a lot of activity happening in Asia, uh, in Europe and America. So I, if I could look back in time and I should probably try to take more trips out to Europe and the US and try to network with more of the guys because all these guys are pretty much... Uh, they're all billionaires now, I suppose. So it would be pretty useful to to be to, to network more with them. So that that's kind of like the only thing, I suppose. The rest, I guess, we've done what we we were pretty lucky running CoinGecko so far. Um, mm-hmm. not much more that we could optimize for. We're pretty much in a good spot right now. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then uh, final question is, what would you be doing? if you weren't working in crypto? Yeah, um, probably running a Web2 startup. <laughs> so yeah, I think I'll probably still be in a tech industry. Um, I think always wanted to be in a tech industry running a startup. Um, I guess to me, the idea wasn't very clear on what startup it would be. Uh, CoinGecko was a side hustle that turned out to be, to have traction, to have product market feed. And we kind of, stayed on into it but uh if it's not in crypto then like probably a, a tech startup but obviously a lot harder to to build a community yeah. you know i suppose <laughs> absolutely absolutely well bobby th- that was it for me uh dave do you have anything else to add no that's it um huge fan of coin gecko i check it almost every day um you. you felt like an awesome product and um, i'm excited to see where how you guys evolve and where you guys go in the future yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Is there anything you want the audience or uh, listeners to know? Are there any secret Easter eggs on CoinGecko, some feature that no one uses that they should be using? Um, yeah, I think I think I've mentioned them already. So like check out NFT price floor, uh, the floor price on CoinGecko. If you have, if you are looking for floor prices, uh tokenomics tab. If you see anything missing, let us know. Um geckoterminal.com. Uh we're trying to grow that. Um uh, this Dex tracker that we're building. So I think there's a lot of things that we still have to improve. So drop me a line uh, on Telegram at Bobby Yong if you ever, or, or drop me a line on, on Twitter, for example, on, on what you think we should be improving on Gecko Terminal. That's something that we want to be improving actively this year. Very cool. Well, Bobby, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a tremendous conversation and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you, Bobby. Thank we'll you. see you next time. See you next time. Take care. Bye. Well, we're wrapping up the episode with Bobby Young, the founder of CoinGecko, and uh, we went on a journey through memory lane of the early days of crypto, you know, through like what it's like working at CoinGecko, how he evaluates projects, you know, his kind of personal tastes and flavors. Kit, what are some final thoughts? Man, my final thoughts are like, Bobby is like the ideal kind of crypto participant, right? Oh, yeah. you, You have to get into the culture, you have to experiment on chain, actually do the damn thing and then build also. Cause at the end, remember he told us an advice of like, Hey, if you're new to crypto, put yourself out there more, meet some of yeah. these people. And I, I think that's exactly what, um, you know, 
newcomers and during this bear market actually yeah anybody's still sticking around totally hit up like you know one another and make friends man the bear yeah. market is a great time to make friends i think the fastest way to learn is reaching out to people networking like bobby said and also just using stuff also just experimenting around playing around joining communities communities asking questions about what you use like that's how you really learn and, um, you know, Bobby has really created a great tool that we all use, you know, and I, I know yeah. I look at it every day. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, this was a really good episode. Uh, if you liked what you saw, you know, don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube, Flywheel Pod. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Flywheel Pod. Join our Telegram group at Flywheel Pod. You can find me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. You can find me on Twitter at 0x capital underscore K. And we will catch you next week. Peace.